What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one ranked show sponsored by DirecTV Stream. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, the Fox Sports app. And if you are watching on YouTube, please hit that like and subscribe button. If you're listening on the podcast, I appreciate that. Leave us a five-star review. Today, we got to grade some coaches, man. We've had some moving and some shaking the last seven days. We're going to go from Brian Kelly to Marcus Freeman tell you what is good and what is great about each one of them and we'll get into a little bit of the Heisman Trophy. Let's go. It's the number one ranked show. All right, so let's start with this. It's been a banner year for head coaches across the board, all right? Like, we've got guys that are signing 10-year deals because it's a trend now. It used to be you had to win a national championship to earn a 10-year contract. But since September, we're looking at coaches Jimbo Fisher, Mario Cristobal, Mel Tucker, Jeff Trailer, James Franklin, Brian Kelly have all signed 10-year contracts and or extensions because of how their teams have performed and just what the market has looked like for their services, starting in large part with USC choosing to part ways with Clay Helton back in September, and of course Ed Orgeron choosing to step down from LSU. But I also need to genuflect to Nick Saban because many of the coaches that we're talking about who have been doing this outstanding work all year were at one point or another on his staff, in particular the 2015 Alabama coaching staff consisted of offensive coordinator Lane Kiffin, who is the head coach at Ole Miss today, defensive coordinator Kirby Smart, who, of course, is the head coach at Georgia today and playing in the college football playoff for the second time in four years. We got offensive line coach was Mario Cristobal. He was the head coach at Oregon. He is now the head coach at Miami. Wide receiver coach was Billy Napier, who was the head coach at Louisiana and is now the head coach at Florida. And, of course, defensive backs coach Mel Tucker, who is the head coach at Michigan State. That's the 2015 coaching staff. And when we're looking at Nick Saban basically over the last six years, we've seen a quarterback room that included Jalen Hurts, Tua Tonga-Valoa, and Mac Jones. We've seen a wide receiver room that included Henry Ruggs, (laughs) Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddell, and Devontae Smith at the same doggone time. And it feels like they're going to put two more wide receivers into the NFL draft this year. Shout out to John Mechie, who blew out his ACL in the SEC championship game. I hope he gets better. But it's going to be even more of the Jamison Williams show out there. So as we talk about those coaches, just bear in mind what a brilliant year 2021 has been for each and every last one of them. But now we got to grade them. Okay, we got to grade your school's coaching hire. And there's some criteria for this that I want to go over because you know me. I don't want to give you a list without telling you how I came to this list and how I came to these grades. So, at number one on this list, the question I asked, does he have a regional or school tie? Is he an alumnus? Had he coached there before? These are the things that I want to know about the guy you went to go get because that is a big part of this term we call fit. If it feels like it's a glove fit, that's probably going to get you a higher grade. The next question that I ask is, what's left on the roster? All right? Now, this is a tricky one because usually kids commit to a coach and not a university 
even though you're the person who committed to the university and of course graduated from there and owes loans to there, so you have a different sort of affinity to it than say a player who was committed to it verbally, who saw his coach leave and might actually want to go do something else to say nothing of the players that are entering the transport portal. Okay, the next question that I have for this is, is he familiar with recruiting in the area, right? Does he have some familiarity with the state or the region for which he's going to have to try to rope off his state school, all right? The next question, the last question, I think is fairly simple. Is the dude a winner? And that means a lot of different things. But for the sake of this conversation and these grades, how likely is this man to win you a national championship? Now, I know that for some of you, winning a national championship is not the end-all, be-all. But it is for me because I like winning. And I like being number one, undisputed, like the show. So that's what we're going to base these things on. So let's get right into it and start at Brian Kelly who goes from Notre Dame to LSU, for which the take here is, is the gumbo supposed to be that hot? All right, so many of you saw the video of a man, BK, getting on the floor, putting on what he thought was a southern accent instead of being a dude from Massachusetts, try to win over the crowd, and the internet had its laughs. But that also is an anecdote that just seems to just give us a little bit better of a picture of how difficult this fit seems or how odd it seems, right? Now, let's not get it twisted. I'm giving this man a grade of a 92 and LSU a grade of 92 for this coaching hire because he's a winner, all right? He's going to get you into the college football playoff. He proved he can do that at Notre Dame, a place where the freshman on the football team had to take calculus, pass calculus, be eligible where the academic standards are always going to be difficult, where you're probably not going to go to the junior college ranks to get your players. You have to have a very specific kind of three, four, and five-star player to play at Notre Dame, and then you have to succeed playing their barnstorming schedule where they do play good football programs for the most part throughout the year, and they have some outstanding matchups each and every year, okay? It's going to LSU where... The last two dudes, to, or last three dudes, actually, to coach there, won national championships. Ed Orgeron, Les Miles, and, of course, Nick Saban, who got this thing figured out. So if Brian Kelly can put around himself a staff that can rope off the state of Louisiana, go into Texas and steal some recruits, go into Georgia, California, steal a few more, he's going to have them in a position to not just win the SEC, but win the national championship because we know that he knows how to put together a great football team. It's about who's going to join him there, and we're still learning just who is going to be on the staff. But it's also a roster that's always going to be good, right? Now, Elias Ricks, among others, goes into the portal. We'll see where he comes out. But you're going to have to replace a bunch of guys over there, and we'll see what the quarterback situation looks like. But I have no doubt that the roster that he has intact is going to be good enough to compete next year. And in the SEC West, that's what it's about. Can you compete next year. You're going to have Ole Miss there. You're going to have Alabama there. Arkansas is good. It's tough. But that's what he wanted. That's why he signed up. He said, I want to win a national championship. It's also outlining how difficult it was for him to try to win one at Notre Dame, having made the national championship game, having made the playoff, and never having got a ring. So I think I'm giving it a 92, mostly because this one came out of left field and he was leaving a situation that we all thought was pretty good for a situation he thinks is better, and I'm sure they think that he can win them a national championship. Okay, let's go to the next guy on this list. For me, it's Brent Pry, 
at Virginia Tech. Skip right to his grade. Give it a 94. Okay. But the phrase here is pry like a crowbar because that's how his defense played at Pitt State, yo. Like they absolutely were taking a crowbar and beating offenses over the skull with it. It was fun to watch, especially when we were talking about that Wisconsin game where it felt like that was going to be the play-in game for the Big Ten Championship on one way or another. And it kind of was in that Wisconsin needed to win, couldn't win, get in the Big Ten Championship game, but it was still a very good football team that they beat. But one of the things I already enjoy about what Pry is bringing to Virginia Tech, other than defense at a place that was built on Beamer Ball and had Bud Foster for doggone near 30 years as defensive coordinator, is the assistance that he is bringing in. Now, this is going to go under the radar, but you know me, I like to get into the weeds. Sean Quinn was the head coach at Savannah State, and he resigned to take a job as an assistant at Virginia Tech. Why is this important? Because until 2019, the Division II team, that is Savannah State, hadn't had a winning record since 1998. That's nearly 20 years without a winning season. He called it, at the time, the worst football program in America, and he was not exaggerating. Took the job. They've gone 15-5 and five during his time, and for our purposes, that's Unk's alma mater. Unk, to y'all that is uninitiated, is Shannon Sharp. Okay? So we care about Savannah State. We also care about folks that can win at Savannah State and then bring those expertise to a place like Virginia Tech, which I feel can win the ACC championship game. They just got to hit it right on the a quarterback, and I think that defense is going to be flying around playing a little good, a little bit of good football out there. So that is why I give them a 94. I think it's a nice fit. I think it's an easy drive from Happy Valley over to Blacksburg, and I think he's going to be in a situation where he can win and give them what they want, eight, nine games immediately, and then we'll see. All right, let's move on to the next year. I have Billy Napier. Florida. I'm going to give this grade a 94, okay? Phrase here, takeaway. Napier, like rapier. You know, like the sword that they're going to use to vanquish the SEC. Yeah, man, so I'm enjoying the Billy Napier conversation to Florida because they're going for basically a complete flipping character, almost like Brian Kelly and Ed Orgeron. You're picking a guy that is the antithesis of the dude that you just had because you got that feeling and you want to get rid of it. But Billy Napier had been waiting for the right SEC job to come along, and all he'd been doing was winning games at Louisiana after sharing the conference championship with Coastal last year because they didn't get a chance to play the conference championship due to COVID. He went out and won it this year, just outright won it, and then waited for another job opportunity to come along. Last year, we thought it was going to be a Tennessee, right? Josh Heupel snuck in there, has them in the right direction. I'm very excited about what volunteer football could be looking like to the smile of Producer Cat. But I'm also very excited about what Florida football could look like because the thing that I always stress about these introductory press conferences for these coaches, which are full of pomp, full of cir- uh, circumstance, and full of enthusiasm, which we'll talk about with Brent Venables here in a little bit, is that you need to set the bar for expectations, and it's a bar that you need to be able to meet. So if you can absolutely keep the lid on what people should expect from you in year one, in year two, and then you exceed that, you have a better opportunity to stay at that place for a longer amount of time. So Billy Napier shows up, as he's putting together the staff, said, hey, look, our 2022 class, it ain't going to be very good. Okay, I got this job two weeks before signing day. 
if the dudes go into the portal or they don't want to stay committed, I understand that. doesn't mean I'm not going to recruit them. doesn't mean I'm not going to try to recruit the guys that are already on this roster. It does mean that he is realistic about what they expect to be in 2022. And I think that's valuable, right? Because right now, you need to beat Tennessee, which you've done. You need to beat Georgia, which is dicey. And then you need to win the SEC championship. But Florida is a place where you can do those things by recruiting the state of Florida. And Billy Napier learned from Nick Saban, learned from Dabo Sweeney. Those are two great head coaches to learn how to do this. And has developed his own philosophy as an offensive play caller, as a head coach, at what we refer to as the little SEC in the Sun Belt. I think he's ready for this challenge. And I think Florida fans, rightly, should be excited about this. The fit, I think it's a little interesting. That's all, right? I, I also like that in his introductory press conference, Billy Napier refers to his program as program, which sounds a lot like my grandmommy at, at Zion Chapel AME, <laughs> where, where RJ passed me the program. I, I get a kick out of that. But that is authentic. He is being himself. And I put a lot of emphasis in the honesty and authenticity. So I think Florida is going to have a good time with Billy Napier. All right, let's go to the next guy on this list. That is Mario Cristobal at Miami. Well, I'm going to give this hire a 95. The phrase here, Kane Unity. See what I did there? Some, somebody tell Bruce Feldman what I did there. Kane Unity. His book, obviously, is called Kane Mutiny. It's about basically the heyday of Miami football for which Mario Cristobal was there. I can't oversell this. I can't overstate this. Mario Cristobal was an offensive lineman and a first-team all-conference selection of the Big East at a time when Miami won two national championships, all right, from 88 to 91. That dude knows the U. And the first thing he told folks about accepting the job is, you wouldn't understand, it's Kane thing. All right, first of all, I understand winning and losing. And I understand that Miami ain't been about winning at a high level since 2002. I also understand that Miami ain't finished inside the top 15 in like 16 years. Okay? You have work to do at a private school that has not always seemed to value the football program the way that we in college football value the football program or even the way that the players value the football program. But it's an interesting point here to make in that Mario Cristobal was at the U at a time when the players mostly ran the program, right? Dennis Erickson, head coach, so forth, so on. Jimmy, Jimmy Johnson there toward the end. But the players were responsible for keeping each other in check. And he's also got a lot of experience with guys like Nick Saban, where he is the program. You're doing what he tells you to do. My favorite anecdote about guys going to the NFL from Alabama, for instance, is that they feel like they have too much time. It's like, am I supposed to be doing something? Am I missing something? No, it was just that rigid at Alabama, which is antithetical, right, to the NFL and Miami. But Cristobal comes in, and not only does he understand the place because he played there, and he coached there, by the way, for Al Golden as an assistant, he's speaking Spanish at the press conference, which I also cannot overstate what a flex that is and how he feels in tune with the people of Miami. Now, Ropa, Broward County, Dade County, South Florida, you'll get everybody you need. Thing that I've, I wonder, though, along with this contract that he got is how are they going to help him? What have they committed to do for him? The roster's got Tyler Van Dyke, who could play in the NFL at quarterback. We'll see. But you're going to be able to get dudes. 
I still think it's kind of funny that a place like the University of Miami, which over the last 40 years has been a made football program, doesn't have its own stadium. Perhaps that's something he can get remedied for them. We're talking 50000 right? We're not even talking about however large Hard Rock is. We're just talking about some place where the Miami Hurricanes get to call their own for their own. And if somebody's going to flip the program around, it was not going to be Ed Reed. It's not going to be Michael Irvin. It was always going to be a Mario Cristobal, who is not just a player, but was a coach and is of the place. That's what you need. Now, what this means for Eugene and Oregon, we'll find out. We'll get to that when that happens. But I like the hire, and I think it's going to work for them. Okay, the next guy I want to talk about, Lincoln Riley to USC. I'm giving this grade a 96 because I'm using my football brain, my analyst brain, my objective brain about what he is and what USC is. Like, let's let's keep it 100 here, okay? USC and Oklahoma is a one-to-one, right? They're both blue bloods. They're both capable of winning national championships and at a high level. And Lincoln Riley has done nothing but win at a high level. We can talk about winning a college football playoff game, right? We can talk about how this season ended. But he had 10 games in the bag before they took the loss to Oklahoma State. Now, at a place like USC, it's not for me about the alumni base, although it is robust and we know this. It's not for me about the facilities, although they're great and we know this. It's not even about the fans who I sincerely am challenging to fill the Coliseum. I don't think you're going to do it. But if you do, come come holler at your boy, okay? Because I doubt you. I'm, I'm saying it right now. I doubt you. For me, it's about USC and Lincoln Riley and him pitching that to South California recruits. The Southern Cal dudes can play some ball. Let me tell you about a few of them. DJ Ui Ungalale, he's at Clemson. Bryce Young, he's at Alabama. Like, we keep going down the list here. JT Daniels, he's at Georgia. I can do this. Perhaps the greatest college football player of all time is from that state. He's also a big noon analyst. His name is Reggie Bush. You know another dude sitting next to him? Matt Leiner, he's got a Heisman Trophy. They both played at USC. You can get guys. And he took half the staff from Oklahoma with him, and they're familiar. Dennis Simmons has been recruiting that area, right? Jamar Kane, who decided to join up on Monday, we're recording this on a Tuesday. Yeah, he was brought in in large part not just because he could develop outside linebackers like Nick Benito, who might be a first-round draft pick at Oklahoma, but because he knows the area they are recruiting in Arizona and in Southern California. You have dudes. Alex Grinch, tremendously familiar with the Pac-12, having been defensive coordinator at Washington State before taking the job at Oklahoma. You have guys like Roy Manning, who understands being an outside linebacker coach at UCLA. I think they're going to get guys in there. I think they're going to have a top five recruiting class each year. It's about can that man win you a national championship. I got to tell you, at Oklahoma, that was the thought. He's the man that can win you a national championship. Four years, three playoff appearances, zero wins in it. Yes, that's my football brain saying he's still got to get that win, right? He's still got to get that first semifinal win. And we know the road to the Pac-12 feels like it's there for him with Mario Cristobal going Miami. Even as Kyle Whittingham is like, hey, man, we got the belt. Like, you got to get past us first. And I respect that. I'm, I'm here for that. I'm here for you Utah fans to show Lincoln Riley what's really good in your Pac-12. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that staff can't actually go out there and win 11, 12, 13 games and get USC to the places that USC wants to go. I think as far as fit, it's weird. Like, that's just objective. It's just weird. 
The man is from Muleshoe, Texas. That's West Texas. He went to college at Lubbock. That's West Texas. And for anybody that's ever been to Lubbock, and Lubbock folks, you understand where I'm coming from on this. That's Mars, all right? It's just desolate out there. And for some folks, that's what you need. That's where you come from. That's who made you. I understand. I'm a dude from Tulsa. It's not a dig. It's just what it is. And then the man took a job in Greenville, East Carolina, which as much as you want to talk about East Carolina football, it's more famous for the pro wrestling events and for being the alma mater of one, the chairman, Vincent K. McMahon. It's not for football, right? But they went out there, had Shane Carden, had the NCAA's reception leader, right, all time. He did, did what he did, right? Put that offense together, comes to Oklahoma, gets tapped by Bob Stoops to be the next head coach at Oklahoma. And it felt like a fit because my man speaks his language. Like, he ain't got to put on a draw because the draw is what you got in Oklahoma. It, it comes out for me every time and again when I'm talking to the right person. Y'all understand this about me and we family so we can understand this. But to say that that dude took the job in Los Angeles, in L.A., where LeBron is, where the Staples is now the crypto, where they got 12 pro teams. It's just weird, right? That's all. It can work. I just, I'm going to need to see it for me to say that it's a good fit because I think it fits football-wise. I just, culturally, it's just kind of weird. That, that's all. All right. But it's a 96, and I got it pretty high here. Next guy on the list that we got to talk about. I'm also giving a 96 to, by the way, Brent Venables in Oklahoma. All right. You'll know. An hour after news broke, Lincoln Riley's headed to USC. Your boy said, Oklahoma coach Brent Venables. That's the number one. That's the number one for me. It turned out to be the number one for Joe Castiglione and the brain trust in Oklahoma, and they got the man. I got to be fully honest with you, though. I did not think Joe Castiglione, Joey Clutch, was going to be able to go into Clemson, South Carolina and come out with Brent Venables because the story here is wild. For me, right? Because I'm, you know, I'm an Oklahoma fan, so I'm going to give y'all some backstory on this. Brent Venables comes in 1999 and is so strong, but also the personnel is so weak, that he is out-benching every single OU football player on the team. Brent Venables, okay? Now, he's wiry. You know, he cut up. But I don't look at that man and think that he should be out-benching my offensive lineman, my linebackers. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just not what you do. But he is fiery, and he'll coach you hard. And he'll coach you precise. And he'll love you hard. And he won a national championship with Bob Stoops. He's linebacker's coach on that staff. Grew to be the defensive coordinator after Mike Stoops took a job at Arizona. Mike Stoops comes back 2012. Clemson, Dabo Sweeney offered Brent Venables a job. He took that job. It wasn't pushed out. Wasn't yelled at. None of that. It's all good faith. And uh, Bob Stoops really wanted to have him back co-coordinating with Mike Stoops because he thought it would make them better. And then goes on a run of runs for a defensive coordinator. Two national championships, and I count six first-rounders, including three on the 2018 defensive line alone, and Isaiah Simmons, whose position is destroyer of worlds, okay? He evolved his defense to be able to put the clamps on everybody they play, save one, right? Save one. We, we know how that went a couple years ago with Ohio State. We get it. We understand. But also, one Lincoln Riley. So if Oklahoma and USC ever got to be in the college football playoff, football gods, it's me. It's RJ. Give this to me, right? <laughs> Give me Oklahoma, USC in the college football playoff semifinal. I, I, I swear for Lord, it would just, it made me so happy. So when this news broke, 
that Brent Venables had accepted the job. A couple facts that I thought were very important there. One is Brent actually reached out to Lincoln to talk to him about it. They're friends. They get along. I'm grateful for that because that could be weird. You know, and then the fraternity that is coaching, they want to stay tight, and I understand that. That's very cool. The other thing was, news broke. Your man is yelling, push the button to everybody because we've been waiting on this. But also, I put on Kurt Franklin and the family singing Gonna Be a Lovely Day in my headphones. I needed to have me a little church, me a little praise and worship because rarely do I as a fan get what I want, okay? Like, it just don't happen that way. But Venables also just seemed like a white whale of sorts, right? Seemed like Moby Dick because there were jobs that were coming open during the course of him running roughshod over people defensively, and he was saying no to every last one of them because he wanted to protect his family. As a matter of fact, that was what he agonized over most when he left Oklahoma the first time. What's this going to mean for his family? And it was so cool to see the pictures of him on the plane with his family to say that they're all in on this. And then over a 1,000 fans show up to his introductory press conference, which, you know, that's how we do, right? Uh, at Oklahoma, you, you, we, we know a little something about vengeance, you know? Like, when you pick us, we, we gonna pick you back, you know? And they showed up. But a couple things about that press conference. The first one is, Joe Castiglione said, the kids be checking my drip, and I fell out. Because it's Oklahoma. And then, Joe Castiglione pulled out a pair of Jordan Retro 4s, the Oklahoma Sooners, and handed them to Brent Venables to seal the deal, saying, we wear these here. I, for me, that is the most unexpected action in the history of OU football. Because you've got to take into account the culture of the place the Dust Bowl storytelling, the work ethic part of it. It's not a flashy state. It's not the kind of state where many people are walking around being able to acknowledge the Space Jam 11s on my feet. Okay, the flu games that I'm wearing. But we there now. That's who we are. As a matter of fact, we have lots of conversations about who gets to wear Jordan and who doesn't now. And I just need to go ahead and tell you, the four Jordan football programs now are head coached by Mac Brown, Billy Napier, Brent Venables and Jim Harbaugh. If I looked up Jordan Brand in the dictionary, I don't know that I would find them. But they're rocking it, and they love it, and I love that about them because that is how you get the culture together, right? You get me in the room that way. And then, of course, the phrase here, the takeaway, a physical, punishing, relentless, suffocating defense, and I heard the crowd go boom, at the Everest Training Center, and I made a joke that the folks at work on a Monday were watching that on their phone, and they were shouting, and people need to ask him if they were okay, and I was so happy to hear from y'all on the Twitters that, yo, RJ, someone hit me, hit me, I was, I was shouting at work, because the thing about Oklahoma that has plagued it, more or less, since Brent Venables and Mike Stoops broke up the first time, going back to about 2004, that they've wanted is a clutch defense. As in, put the clamps on you, clutch you, and not let you go. And Brent Venable seems like he can give that to Oklahoma. It's about now nailing the offensive coordinator higher because I think it's going to be more like Lincoln Riley in reverse at Oklahoma, which is to say Venables is going to run his defense, but he's also going to tap an offensive coordinator that he doesn't have to worry about. A dude that he could just say, hey, go do what you need to do, 
and I will take care of the rest. I will take care of the head coaching. I'll take care of helping coordinate the defense. Not unlike one dude whose name is Bob Stoops did, you know, back in 1998, two years in, had Oklahoma win a national championship, okay? I think the recipe is there. It's also a dude that's never been a head coach before, and Oklahoma's had tremendous success hiring dudes who have not had any head coaching experience Usually they're in their 30s. Brent Venables turns 51 in less than two weeks. But, you know, that's 10, 20 years, depending are you Nick Saban, of great coaching. And Nick Saban doesn't feel like he's going to put down the coaching anytime soon. That's wild, right? Like him and Mac Brown, both of those dudes are like, I'm not retiring for what? I love what I do. I don't care that I'm a septenarian. So, Brent Venables, relatively young dude. All right. Last dude on the list. Got to talk about. Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. I'm giving this a score of 99, okay? Takeaway here is Riley and Huey's cousin got put on. I don't need to say nothing else to the rest of y'all to understand that Robert Freeman's other nephew is the head coach at Notre Dame. All right, little bit you probably don't know about my 35-year-old cousin that is Marcus Freeman. Dude grew up in Wayne, Ohio, was recruited by Luke Fickle to play linebacker at Ohio State, plays there, does a cup of coffee in the NFL, becomes GA at Ohio State, does a year at Kent State, does a couple years, a couple four years at Purdue, and then is coordinator for Luke Fickle at Cincinnati and helped build the kind of program that Cincinnati is now as the first G5 program in history to make the college football playoff. But last year... He was going to take another job. He wanted to move up. He wanted to be a head coach. He had a choice between LSU and Notre Dame. Thought Notre Dame would give him the best opportunity to be a, a head coach sooner. I, I doubt, and he has since confirmed, he didn't think he was going to be the head coach at Notre Dame, though, especially at 35 years old. And the reason I'm giving this a 99 is because you watch how the players embraced him. And I think players coach is a term that gets thrown around a little too often when we're talking about some coaches versus others. But with him... He walks in wearing a suit. He's introduced to his players as the head coach at Notre Dame, and they are loud about it. They are wrapping him up. He is hyped with them, and they want to go and win for him, which means that the recruiting class basically has stayed intact. The players have basically stayed there. Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator, decided to re-up. So now you got the young guns. you got the young bucks. You got tag team back again. Check your directed. Let's begin. Party on. Party people. Let me hear us from North. That's what you got at Notre Dame right now. I am so conflicted because I'm raised like everybody who ain't a Notre Dame fan to hate Notre Dame. Like you just don't like them. But I'm looking at what they got in Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese and how they did the smart thing and just elevated him to the only seamless transition in big time college football this year. To be the head coach, I put a lot of emphasis on that. Bob Stoops handed it to Lincoln Riley, and it kept right on moving and got better. Urban Meyer handed it to Ryan Day. It kept right on moving and got better. You, you cannot overemphasize how important it is to have a smooth transition with a young, talented coordinator that everybody wants to get behind. That is why Notre Dame is getting a 99. Now, how likely are they to win a national championship of the group before us? Other than Vitek, they probably got the toughest road. 
but that's because they don't have that 13th data point. They don't play for a conference championship. I'm critical of that. I think they should join a conference like literally everybody else, but they want to keep their barnstorming schedule more than they want to win a national championship. It's also the reason that Brian Kelly left Notre Dame to go to LSU. He wanted to win a national championship after doing however long he did at Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman, 35, like, nah, I can get it done. I, 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 I can get it done. Lou Holtz got it done. Why can't I get it done? Eric Parsegian got it done. Why can't I get it done? And I love that sort of energy. Also, my man is a daddy like six times over, which I also very much enjoy because young daddies are, are a lot of fun. I'm, I'm a young stepdaddy. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm having all the fun in my life. Anyway, I love this hire. I really enjoy all of these dudes moving and shaking to these places that really, I think, need them and could use them. No matter how it went down, we could spend a lot more time talking about how it went down. We just ain't going to do that today because, well, I'm excited for you. And I'm excited for your team. It's like I'm excited for mine. All right. Real quick. Talk about this Heisman Trophy. So the Heisman Trophy is going to be awarded on Saturday. And we're not going to litigate how I feel about the Heisman Trophy. We're just going to say, hey, look. I don't know how this is not going to go to Bryce Young in Alabama. I don't. I, he beat the best team in college football and beat him throwing 400-plus yards and three tutties with his best wide receiver, or his second best wide receiver, not being available in the second half. Like, it's... It's done, right? Like as long as you didn't put on your ballot in before the SEC championship game, you got him as your number one. As for the other three dudes that are being invited, I'm with this, right? I understand it. I get it. I can get down with an Aiden Hutchinson. I can get down with a CJ Stroud. You know how much I feel about you know how I feel about one CJ Stroud. You get that about me, right? But I'm also looking at these finalists. And I think the thing that bothers me is who isn't a Heisman finalist, right? So you got four spots for these dudes, but the thing about the Heisman is you can invite however many finalists you want. You don't have to have a set number. Now, if they had a set number, that'd be one thing. But I can look at Kenneth Walker III, and I can look at Will Anderson and say, yo, they can't be finalists? They can't. The thing about being a finalist that I need to stress here is it's about shine. It's about recognition. It's about putting your coaches on. It's about putting your family on. Because the thing about the Heisman Ceremony is not only that it's on national television, it's that they interview your coach. They interview your parents. We learn more about your story. You become much more valuable as a commodity, number one. And number two, you get to say, these are the people that helped me become a great football player, and I am a great football player. Now, the thing about Kenneth Walker III that I think actually hurt him is enough people didn't watch Ohio State and Michigan st uh, State because I'm, you know, I'm the dude that watches every game. And I could tell you, yeah, okay, cool. He only had 26 yards on four carries. First, he still had a pretty doggone good average against Ohio State. And two, he's hurt. Like, are we not going to pretend like that man was averaging 147 a game before going into that one? Are we not going to pretend that he's the best running back in football? And at one point, we were really talking about him as the best player in football? And he can't even be a finalist? As for Will Anderson... The same people who voted for Aiden Hutchinson watched the Big Ten Championship game, didn't watch the SEC Championship game, okay? Number two, hadn't watched enough Alabama because Aiden Hutchinson plays his best football the last two games of the season. Outstanding football player. I want to be clear about that. First-round draft pick. We're having conversations about him being the number one over Kayvon Thibodeau, and I think that's more about fit than it is about player because Aiden Hutchinson is from the Michigan area and would fit in with Detroit, who's sorry and needs all the help they can get. And Kayvon Thibodeau been playing over in Eugene and is from L.A. He might not like it out there where it's real cold. I don't like it out there where it's real cold. Deuce Tat and Jeff Schwartz can tell you all about me yelling I'm cold 
on the walk over to Lucas Oil. I was not okay. But, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a lightweight. I'm 130 pounds. I'm not built for this kind of weather. I don't know what Kayvon Thibodeau is. Aiden Hutchins seems to be. He's also set the school record, right, for sacks. And I, there's something to that. He had to pass his daddy, Chris, to get to that record. And he finally got on par with his daddy, winning a Big Ten championship. His daddy won five. Think about that. Michigan at one point had five in a row. And that man has a Rose Bowl jersey. And, you know, Aiden wears his daddy's number. It's a cool story. But Will Anderson's got more sacks and more tackles for loss than Aiden Hutchinson on the number one team in the country. We're going to see Bryce Young win this Heisman Trophy. But after my stumping for Jordan Davis, right, and that goes out the window because he lost because he's got to be the best player on the best team because that's the Heisman Trophy. Will Anderson is the dude going, no, RJ, I was him last year. I am him this year. And I would be him in the first round of the NFL draft, number one overall, if I was draft eligible. That man, at the very least, gets a Heisman finalist invitation in the same way that Chase Young did in 2019, right? There's a great argument for him winning it, but we also know what the Heisman feels about defensive players, in particular defensive linemen winning it, and we can relitigate who should have won what, and I will at some other point, and I have during the offseason. But I do want to give those dudes their flowers. And Aiden Hutchinson is great. Will Anderson is great. Kenneth Walker III is great. Bryce Young is great. Okay? We got some great high school or high school. We got some great college football players this year. And I'm excited to see which one of those guys gets to hold the stiff arm trophy because it will vindicate their coaches, their family, but more importantly, their community because nobody rides for our dudes like us who knew them back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played against him in Mighty Mites. He been cold. He was always cold. I seen him at the barbershop. That boy's so big. Like, you know the stories that we tell. That's for us. That's how I choose to see the Heisman Trophy. That is how I choose to see these players. They're representing so much more than I think even they know or even it's sometimes fair for them to know or carry. And that way, congratulations to the four Heisman Trophy finalists. And to the one that wins it, congratulations to you too. All right. Next week, we all talking about coaches. We got Coach of the Year Award finalists that just dropped today when we're recording this. Shout out Josh Gaddis, who won the Broyles Award for top assistant coach in the country. But that is going to do it for me. Thank you to our sponsor, DirecTV Stream, number one ranked show. Our intrepid producer is Catherine Donnelly. That is Chris Cheshire on the direction. Rachel Cohn does our screening. Javion Duncan is our social media manager. Tyler Wojak out here, APN it up. And my sincere thanks to our executive producer, Kristen Herlihy, who has been nothing but kind and gracious and brilliant for me and for this show. All right. Stay for me. Deuces.